He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And I'll tell you, you get news here that you can't find anyplace else. In the studio with us, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, Congressman King, former Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington, rumored to be related to George, <laughs> and uh, Lydia Serrani. Yeah. And we got another great show for you today. Lydia. Who do we have first? We've got Bill O'Reilly. He's a journalist, author, TV, as well as radio host. He also has a show here on WABC Radio every night, Monday through Friday, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly, starting at 9 p.m. And, of course, he's a prolific author. His latest book, Killing the Killers, the Se- no, that's not Killing the Legends, but he's sold about 20 million books thus far. Welcome back to Cats at Night. How, how long has it been? It's been two weeks that you haven't been with I us? I talked to Bill in three weeks, at least. Three weeks. All right, boy, I don't know. Um, but thanks for mentioning uh, Killing the Legends. Yesterday, Sunday, number 13 on the New York Times list, and it's been out since September. So, um, you know, thanks wow. to WABC, which is a nice promotional vehicle, of course. But um, <laughs> we're real happy with the uh, showing of Killing the Legends, that's for sure. So tell us, uh, President Biden, he finally visited the border, but is it, is it two years, uh, five million migrants and a couple, what, $20 billion short? Well, I'm not really uh, sure what that visit was supposed to accomplish. Uh, according to CNN and CNN, um, Biden's uh, handlers, remember, he doesn't really do anything on his own, um, kept him away from the actual migrants who are in El Paso, people who have illegally crossed into the United States but are allowed to stay because of the Biden policies. Well, there are a thousand of them there. But the White House told the press, well, none of them were available to talk to the president. I, I, I find that really hard to believe. He didn't want that look. He didn't want, you know, a picture of him talking to the migrants that he's allowed in to the United States. So what was he there for? I mean, I don't understand. He's only there three hours. And then he goes to uh, Mexico City to talk to the president of one of the most corrupt countries in the world. That would be Mexico. So I think this is all a big charade. It didn't accomplish anything. I don't think and trip will accomplish anything. And we're still going to be looking at millions of foreign nationals pouring into this country. Well, we got some breaking news here. I'm trying to see what it means. What does it mean, Lydia? So a federal complaint has been filed against George Santos. It looks like he hid sources of his funds that he lent his campaign. The censor said that Santos's salary soared from 55000 in 2020 to 750000 in 2022, and that would suggest he was a funnel for other people's money. So it looks like uh, maybe you could explain that. It's a federal complaint. So maybe you yeah, can it, explain. It, it's not really a federal complaint. It's a private well, group filed it with the federal uh, commission. Oh, so, so it's not doesn't mean anything yet. Not yet. No, I'm, listen, I'm sure he's going to have trouble, but this complaint, any of us could have filed the same complaint. Okay. Okay. So uh, Newsday made it their top story because, you know, Newsday loves Republicans. Well, Santos you know is going to have trouble. But. Santos is not going to last for two years. There's no way. I thought with um, the vote last Friday, he has job security. <laughs> the vote last Friday, he what? He has, he has job, job security. security. 
I'm joking, um, Bill. I'm joking. No, okay. I'm sorry. I've been off for three weeks, right? Yeah. Tempo. <laughs> you missed our humor. But he's my you, congressman out here on Long Island, oh, Santos. Okay. I voted for him. Did you miss? Because, did you miss Peter King? <laughs> well, he King is all the way out in Seaford on the South Shore. Um, but if I'm King down there with the working class district, people, I would up vote with the for him. Yeah, I would vote for King in a heartbeat. But I voted for Santos because Zimmerman is a crazy left-wing loon. Um, and But I didn't know anything about Santos, but he's a grifter, and he shouldn't be uh, in the House of Representatives, and that's the way I feel about it. If I had to vote again, I'd probably vote present. <laughs> vote. McCarthy needs every vote he can get. That, that brings up another story, and maybe uh, Congressman King could, could give us the, the Rules Committee. Can, can they... The vote that happened, and we took 15 votes. Can they do that to him on every uh, everything they vote on? Yeah, I don't want to cut a bill into Bill's time, but yeah, basically, uh, if these rules all pass, you'll be able to delay any bill as long as you want. For instance, they say you now can have unlimited amendments. Uh, usually the Rules Committee sets how many amendments you can have. This way you can have a 1,000 amendments being introduced in each bill, which could keep Congress working around the clock for a whole year and not passing anything. So no, to me, some of the, you know these things sound good, but in reality, they, they create real problems. Congress needs reform. But what happened here was just these guys trying to get jobs for themselves. They want three of their members on the Rules Committee. Well, I think it hurt uh, Boebert and uh, Gates. Um, it hurt them because most Republicans, and I'm not a party guy. I'm a registered independent. At the end of Friday night. They were looking and they were just seeing two people who were being obstructionists. They got some things they wanted, um, and some of those things were good. I mean, more clarity on the individual bill rather than this omnibus bill that is ridiculous and nobody even read. That was good. But then at the end, they sat there and they were gloating, and uh, one Gates almost got punched out by the Alabama House guy. Well, by the way, Bill, he's the most mild-mannered guy in the House. Mike Rogers, if you ask me, of the 435 yeah. members, the last guy who would do that would be Mike Rogers. But shows how much and, anger and there was on the floor. He said that. He was surprised. But you could understand the yeah. frustration uh, of these two. And Bobert, forget it. She's done. I mean, she, just, she won by 200 votes in her district in Colorado. I know the district. She'll never win again. But kids, he might. But respect in the House, as you know, Congressman King, you have to earn that. And I think Gates lost all respect from his Republican colleagues. He definitely lost my checkbook. I'm never going to write him a check. I don't respect him. Yeah, listen, I agree. And I don't think Matt Gates had that much respect anyway. I don't know if he cares. He's really catering to a base in his district. He's raised a ton of money off this. He was raising money all last week, even in between votes. He was outside uh, you know, raising money uh, over the Internet. So he's counting on that. But uh, And he got prestige, prestige. He got coverage he never would have gotten before, certainly more than he ever deserved, that's for sure. Yeah, but here's the kicker on it. All of the right-wing commentators turned against him. And that's the lifeblood of a guy like Matt Gates. So on WABC, did you hear Levin on him? Oh, Levin uh, really goes after him. Unfortunately, Tucker Carlson, I think, is still standing with him. But now Levin has been great on this, by the way. Well, look, I'm basically a pretty media-savvy guy. 
And I think Gates um, destroyed his career with this move. I hope so. Uh, I hope so, too. And uh, it just uh, – it, it re- is Donald Trump, is President Trump going to take credit for straightening out Gates at the end? No, Trump doesn't care about Gates. Why would Trump care about well, him? Well, because he made a difference in getting the final vote. Yeah, not really, though. I mean, if you look at Trump's uh, social media posts, he's all about, you know, congratulating the mainstream Republicans now for doing the right thing and going, you know, I don't think Trump's going to stake out far right territory on this one. Um, I'd be surprised if he does. He's a McCarthy guy, Trump. He and McCarthy have an arrangement. Um, And that will suit Trump well down the line if he's challenged by DeSantos. You're right, Bill. They were were very close. Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump are extremely close. Yeah, no doubt about it. Bill, it's Richard Weinberg. Let me ask you this. Do you think there was a long-term harm done to the Republican Party and to the institution of the House? No, because Americans weren't dialed into this. If you saw the television ratings, they spiked a little, but not much. The Idaho college murders got a lot more eyeballs than this did. People aren't, they're not embedded in this kind of uh, like we are. stuff, in the party politics stuff. They want the sensational stuff. Yeah, uh, um, so I, I think people forget about it fairly quickly. I don't think any damage was done. I was talking to Peter about that. This is Rudy Washington, and I told Peter that the only memorable thing about this a year from now is that it was on January 6th that the vote came down. Other than that, mm. nobody will, will remember it, especially two years from now, um, assuming people behave themselves, because they sure enough didn't know when to put take their hat and leave the room, take the win. Um, they stayed a little too long to the party. Yeah, what's going to happen now in the next three months is this Biden investigation is going to take over all the news headlines in every venue and there's going to be leaks every day um, from the Republican side about uh, Hunter and Joe Biden. That's what's going to happen. And that's just going to obliterate, you know, very important things like the border and China and things like that. You wait and see. It's going to be a frenzy coming up. Uh, Bill, I, I, and I guess uh, Judge uh, Peter could answer this question also. Um, ultimately, they could convict him in the Congress. But would this go to a hearing in the Senate? Get, they don't convict. They, uh, they, right, have art, they right. draft articles and impeach. No, they're not going to impeach Biden. I don't think that the Republicans are going to impeach Biden. No. I, I think they're going to investigate whether Biden, as vice president, got cash from his son Hunter, who got cash from foreign countries. But, but That's judge, the story. Right. But, Judge, it, it, what they could find out could be so ugly. Oh, no, I think that's right. It can be ugly. In fact, the most recent thing I saw today, Rudy and Bill, is the now allegations with respect to the way Hunter's, Hunter and his uh, uncle, Jim, were doing business in Mexico. And that's the next wow. big issue. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of, so we've been talking about China and Ukraine and Russia. Now, all of a sudden, Mexico has surfaced. Well, I I just want to dispel the rumors that Hunter Biden and uh, Santos are going into business together. (laughs) (laughs) Santos refuses to do business with him. Bill, we have an extra minute or two. What else would you like to tell the American people? Well, we're going to deal with tonight the subway crime uh, in New York. The transportation system in New York is the lifeblood of the city. 
getting workers to their jobs and home safely. And uh, subway crime's up 30 percent. And and so Adams and, and Hogel doesn't care. I mean, she's so disassociated with New York City, it's ridiculous. But Adams has to care. And his solution is overtime for New York City cops on the subways at an astronomical rate. I mean, the money is just unbelievable. Now, that can do a little bit of good, but not much. What has to happen is punishing the people who pull the knives and the guns on the citizens of New York. You must punish them. And until that happens, you're going to have an unsafe city. And Bill, that's what we have now. Bill O'Reilly's going to be on, on WABC Radio uh, tonight on 770, wabcradio.com, and on BillOReilly.com uh, between 9 and 10, the number one show at night at WABC. And uh, we look forward to it. Okay, John. I'm sorry that we didn't talk for so long, but I'm back in the rhythm now. Back in the saddle again. Thank you so much. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now uh, we got Eric Levine. Uh, would you describe Eric, uh, Judge Weinberg? Eric is uh, one of the most prominent lawyers in New York. He's a great essayist, political commentator, host of many uh, elected officials and, and public figures. Eric, uh, welcome to uh, Cats at Night. Let me ask you a question. They're voting on the rules that would be part of the negotiated deal to get uh, Kevin McCarthy the speakership. What's your views about how these rules should be voted on, both substantively and, and procedure? Well, I mean, let's, let's keep in mind that those that were pushing for this rule package, primarily the Freedom Caucus, one of their big complaints, legitimate, was that you have all these big omnibus rules, uh, these omnibus pieces of legislation, and that they should all be broken up into little pieces, and they've negotiated that we should have appropriations voted on, each each appropriation voted for individually. Well, I don't understand why that shouldn't also apply to this rule package. There are some really crappy rules in here, and there are some good rules in here. So why I think the Congress should, the, uh, should be voting on each individual <clears throat> rule, just as the House Freedom Caucus thinks that these appropriations bills should be voted on each individually. I mean, for instance, this cut-go provision, it sounds great on paper or in theory that for every time you're going to raise some taxes or you're going to raise revenue, uh, appropriate revenue, you have to not just pay for it, you have to cut. That is really a, um, uh, a way of saying we want to cut defense spending. And Jim Jordan, who is a very prominent member of the um, Freedom Caucus, and will be the head of the uh, Judiciary Committee, said so as much on uh, Sharon Breen yesterday on Fox News, that he thinks that there's a that there's a we should be cutting defense, that it's appropriate to cut defense, you know, in exchange for cutting domestic spending. These things are completely different. Defense spending uh, should stand alone and distinct from cutting uh, domestic spending. So when you lump all these things together, as this package, calling it a package does, it leads to some really awful things. Another example is what you were discussing just a minute ago with uh, uh, Eric. This is Pete King. P- uh, Eric, sure. uh, you'll just add to that. At a time when China is expanding its military so much, the last thing we should be doing is talking about cutting defense spending. Oh, 100 percent. Look, the way defense spending should be figured out is this. I mean, Tom Cotton was discussing it in his book, Only the Strong, and he was quoting Ronald Reagan. And, and I won't say it's not hyperbole, but the theory is we need to decide 
how much defense we need. What, how much do we need? How many Navy, how many ships do we need? How many planes do we need? How many soldiers do we need? How many nuclear weapons do we need? And then we add it all up, and that's the defense budget. And then we appropriate for that budget. Not to say we'll have X amount of dollars for defense. Now let's figure out how we decide how we spend it. We need to spending and standing up an army is one of the few things the Constitution specifically provides for the House to do, for Congress to do. It doesn't say you have to have Medicare. It doesn't say you have to have Social Security. We can discuss you know, these are wonderful programs and we can discuss how much we want to appropriate for that. But defense spending, our national security, that is the single most important thing government does, to defend and protect the security of the, of the citizens of the United States. And when you start putting defense on par and the same level as domestic spending, you are bastardizing the Constitution. So this cut-go provision, which is a really, again, which may sound wonderful in theory, is really a bad idea because a Fortunately, a majority of the Republican House caucus wants to increase defense spending. But what we're going to end up doing if we adopt this package is either we're going to be forced to cut defense spending or not have a budget. So that's that's a, that's a recipe for failure. And to a point that Bill O'Reilly was making before, that maybe people weren't watching at the time, that may or may not be true. But let's assume very few people were watching. While people were watching Kevin McCarthy being neutered by uh, Matt Gates and his goons, you know, it really resonated very poorly. They didn't just think to themselves, oh, this is, you know, this is democracy, this is messy. They're saying, can the Republicans govern themselves? But let's assume very few people watched. Lots of Americans are going to watch <clears throat> going forward. Can the Republicans govern? And if we can't agree on a budget, if you're going to have 200 and, 212 Republicans say we want to increase defense spending, and you have the, the gate six saying we're going to oppose defense spending, and of course the Democrats... Oh, is that going to happen on every vote? Well, what happens, Peter King? I mean, you were in Congress 28 years. No, what Eric is saying is true. The defense uh, budget, uh, basically un- under these rules, that they will have to cut the defense budget, and uh, Republicans don't want to do it, but they maybe feel somehow they're bound on this. It is a recipe for chaos, and we can again see the government shutting down or... Uh, you know, repeat of what we saw last week. I mean, one of the great distinguishing characteristics between the Republicans and Democrats is Republicans are strong are for a strong national defense. So bottom line, because we got a break coming up. Uh, Peter King, what's the bottom line? It's going to be tough days ahead. And if everyone was acting in good faith, that's one thing. I think last week we saw that some people don't act in good faith and a closely divided house that can cause chaos. Well, we better straighten it out. I mean, who's going to be capable of straightening out? Uh, I'm, I'm still looking. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, I, Eric, Eric Levine, thank you. We wanted to get you in here for a quickie, and thank you for, for making the time to come up. Thank you so much. My, my pleasure. Thank you thank for you. having me. Appreciate it. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now we have uh, Lucius Arricchio. He is the uh, he was the commissioner of New York City's Department of Transportation and served on the board of the directors of New York's Metropolitan Transportation Authority, a.k.a. the MTA, and he's now an adjunct professor at NYU Stern School of Business. Welcome back to Cats at Night. Lou, it's, uh, Thank you for having me. Lou, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Nice to talk to you again. I want to ask you. Wonderful to see you. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you, this congestion pricing, is this an idea whose time has come, or is this an idea that should be abandoned? What say you? 
Well, I'd say there's um, lots of different aspects of, uh, of this that should be considered. First off, we have to recognize the MTA needs a lot of money. They need money uh, to do really good things. The, the MTA is the lifeblood of New York City's business. Uh, without the subway system and the, the bus systems, we wouldn't be the great city that we are. And to keep up with the other great cities of the world who are building more subways and improving their subways like Shanghai and Tokyo and in London and Paris, we should be building more. So we they need money. So the idea behind the congestion pricing uh, is that uh, it's one way of raising money. Now, the question is, who should pay for this? Um, everybody knows there's congestion in Manhattan. It wouldn't be a great city if there was nobody uh, coming to it. Um, but congestion can be looked at as three different distinct Aspects. One is the morning rush hour, which is people trying to get across the bridges and tunnels into Manhattan during the rush hour. Then there's midday congestion of the traffic in Midtown. And then there's the evening rush of people leaving, which I assume a lot of your listeners are in the middle of right now in drive time. Uh, and those are the, the three components of congestion. The congestion pricing program that's being considered considers midday midtown uh congestion uh for which most of commuters don't participate in and my recent study showed that the majority of the vehicles driving around in the middle of the day in midtown are these four hire vehicles the ubers and the lifts yeah Lou, um, Lou, this is rudy washington how you doing hi rudy uh you know i i can't remember whether it was bloomberg or well de blasio but they Turning loose Uber and Lyft on New York against the yellow cabs was a, a natural disaster. It was a, a travesty. Uh, it resulted in nine suicides, hundreds of, of um, uh, bankruptcies of people who had bought a medallion for the purposes of living the American dream. Uh, many of them immigrants. Uh, the city sold medallions to balance their budget. They told people it was a good investment. It's the legal obligation of the TLC to protect protect the value of the medallion. And then they let the Ubers and Lyfts in for nothing, essentially exactly. nothing. It's $275. After, after Mayor Unlimited. Bloomberg made those people sign big money for the new uh, licenses of a million dollars a piece. The new and, and they ended up going broke for paying a million dollars a piece. But I have a question, yep. to Mr. Riccio. What about the $550 yep. million dollars in lost revenue that the subway is experiencing because nobody is paying the fare? Why should the driver that's trying to go to the hospital in Midtown, trying to go see a nice show, why should the burden of the congestion or anything be on our back to fulfill the MTA's fiscal gap when all they have to do is just step one, make people pay the fare. Well, I, I can't disagree with you there. People have to pay the fare. But there are so many needs, and we should be building a new subway line each decade for the next 100 years just to keep up with the other great cities of the world. At $300 million a mile of subway tunnel, we should be raising, oh, several hundred million dollars a year. And we can do that if we charge the four hire vehicles what the yellows have already paid. If we, if, so, and this is unfair competition between the yellows, as was pointed so, out, that there was so unfair Lou, competition. 
So, yep. Lou, but the problem is you're penalizing the commuters and you're talking about a system that's not workable. So I, I, I'm not going to let the commuters off the hook. They should pay something. But I think that the Ubers and Lyfts and other for hire vehicles should pay far more than what they're paying. I think, we're in the midst, much- I think this interview, we're going in the midst of confusion than solutions. I think congestion, <laughs> the city has created such congestion between the bus lanes, between the bicycle lanes. They created the problem, and now they want to charge you and the average person living in Manhattan to solve the problem. Now, Rudy Washington, you were deputy mayor. Yeah, um, you know, that's why I raised this with Lou, uh, you know, uh, this whole question. I think when you look at schemes like this, you, you need to look at the whole tax burden of New York State and the, and the city. And nobody's paying attention to that. Uh, between crime, Everybody left. Yes, 484,000. Well, that's well, that's my point, John. I mean, so they're not paying attention to the tax burden that's already placed well, on. I, when I interviewed Mayor Adams last Friday... And he says he paid attention that 2% of New York City, New York State of people pay 51% of the taxes. Now, right. if, if a half of that 2% leave, who's going to pay? Yes, yeah, so I the migrants, the migrants are well, not going to Hold on. Let's talk. I can only talk to you about transportation here. I can, <laughs> I'd love to talk with you about total tax policy. Lou, I'll and calm him down. I'm not. I'll calm I'm not down, saying Lou. you're wrong. Calm me down, I'll Lou. Calm I'm bad as hell, and I can't take it anymore. <laughs> you're wrong. I'm not going to take this anymore. It's talking 30 bucks a day to drive into Midtown. This is crazy. They're going to decimate people's lives and businesses, and it's just the truck drivers. It's just it's crazy. Yeah, I believe that there is a, a problem with uh, charging too much. I mean, the life flood in New York City, are these people you're talking about? We do need these people to come to New York City. Um, some charge maybe, maybe uh, $30 sounds far too high. Um, so, but I think we can raise the money the MTA needs by focusing on the four hire vehicles. We can get a balance back if we reduce the number of four hire vehicles by charging them, get a balance back in get the yellows back in business. That's the true, the, the original congestion pricing program was the yellow uh, cars. Hey, hey Lucas, and, is uh, Lucas is PK. Lucas is PK. They're going to have to go in a second. Do me a favor, say hello to Rona for me, okay? But can we even guarantee that that money would actually go to the MTA? Didn't they say the Verrazano Bridge, they'd stop charging people once it was paid off? Can we even yeah. take people at their word? No. Thank no, you. Absolutely <laughs> Nobody at their word in New York City. I'm sorry. Thank you so much, Lucius Riccio. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show in studio. Of course, of John Katzmatidis, Judge Weinberg, Congressman King, Rudy Washington, myself, Lydia. On the line, we have State Comptroller of New York, Tom DiNapoli. Welcome back to Cats at Night, sir. And the number one vote getter in November, the number one vote getter in the Democratic Party in November got more votes than the Attorney General, more votes than the governor, the most trusted Democrat in New York State. Because he's common sense. Yeah, but that was unfair uh, because Sinopoli stole all these votes from Republicans. He only these Republicans <laughs> to vote for. <laughs> well, Peter, you know, my, a lot of our uh, mutual Long Island friends look out for me, so I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say happy, healthy well, New Year. Uh, uh, Tom, team, I, by the way. Tom, I heard that Larry Elevich came back to vote for you. 
Oh, yeah. We, we miss him, don't we, Peter? We miss him. Come t- hey, but John, John i got to say, during the holidays, you were pitch-hitting for all your anchors that you gave time off. I, I had you uh, on the air more than anybody. And I you got were, paid you, double. You great I used to get paid $1 a week. I got paid $2. Comptroller, I don't and know. And I you... worked. By the way, I worked midnight on New Year's Eve. Yeah. I was here midnight to, to 2 o'clock in the morning, me, Curtis, and Rita. And, and the cats. And, and the cats. And Margo, too. <laughs> and we talked to all the people from Hawaii all the way to Anchorage, Alaska, to, to Beckley, West Virginia. Well, what you've done with the station has been incredible, and uh, I listen to it all the time, and uh, you just have a great team there. Thank so my you. compliments to all of you. I'm concerned about one thing, and I brought it up with uh, Mayor Adams on my interview with him on Friday. Yeah. And uh, according to the records, 484,000 New Yorkers, I don't know if New York State, New York City, moved out in the last 24 months, middle class yeah. and above. And yeah. 16% of them were millionaires. Now, all that income leaving New York City and New York State, in exchange, we got a lot of migrants that they became dependents. Mm-hmm. At what point does the system blow up? The people leaving that are paying the taxes, people that are coming in that are dependents on our city and our state. Mm-hmm. Look, it's a fair question. It, it's a hard one to answer what that tipping point is. There's no doubt that for a host of reasons exacerbated by uh, what happened with the COVID experience and and the higher taxes we have in New York, you know, with the, you know, with the additions, uh, the, folks in New York City, different than folks that live outside of New York City, they have for personal income tax, the highest combined rate, even higher than California now. So this is a concern because, uh, you know, as you know, rough numbers, the top 1% of taxpayers pay for about 40% of the personal income tax revenue we get at the state level. So we have to be mindful of that. Uh, There are a lot of reasons why people leave, a lot of reasons why people stay, but certainly uh, the tax burden is part of it. The overall issues in the city of quality of life, issues of crime, homelessness, uh, you know, those issues have to be dealt with as well. I mean, I think that's part of the the answer. It's not just the, the tax burden, but the numbers are there, and we have to be mindful of the fact that 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 those at the upper upper end, in fact, are the ones carrying most of the freight that pay for the programs for our schools, for our seniors, for health care. We want them to stay here, and we want to continue to tax them. Look, another issue this year's impact on the city budget and the state budget is going to be the fact that, you know, Wall Street hasn't uh, obviously had a great year. So those big bonuses. There's no bonuses on Wall Street. No, uh, no bonuses. 4,000 layoffs at uh, Goldman Sachs. Yep, yep. And we're concerned about jobs migrating out of that sector. Those are good jobs, high-paying jobs. We want to hold on to them. So, look, I'm not, I'm not a doomsday person. You know, this is still New York, and there's a resilience and a reason to be here uh, that people appreciate. But, but there are some warning signs out there, and we have to very, be very mindful of it, especially as we head into a new budget cycle. As you know, the governor, probably the end of this month, will present her budget proposals. I'm not anticipating any new taxes to be proposed, but, you know, uh, some of the folks uh, and the legislature, no doubt, will propose some new ones. But we have to be very careful. We don't want to uh, kill the goose that's laying the golden egg that's kept New York City and New York State going. Tom, it's it's Richard Weinberg. Something hey, Richard. that is not focused on. By the way, congratulations on being sworn in today. Thanks. I, Thanks. I just want to say 
People forget when you have the most productive, the taxpayers leaving, they're the ones who also give to the charities. They're the ones who support the cultural institutions. They're the ones yeah. who build the wings at the hospitals. So these are real losses when you lose these people. It's not just the, the direct taxes and the revenues, and they also produce a large number of the jobs. What say you? Oh, no, you're absolutely right. The, the, the generosity uh, of, of so many of, of these individuals at the higher end, I mean, that's what's kept all our cultural institutions afloat, all the wonderful charities. I mean, John Katsimatidis alone is an example of that, but there are, there are so many others. Another reason why uh, we don't want to lose them. But again, I think we have to be mindful, at least from what I hear from folks, beyond what the numbers say. Tax burden is part of it. Quality of life, though, is very much a part of it as well. We can't control the weather. That's a separate question. But uh, people need to feel safe. And people need to have a sense when they're walking down the street that they're not going to be accosted. And there's a lot of issues, as we all know, about homelessness, mental health. You know, and I think the mayor certainly is trying to address them more aggressively. And I think that's a welcome message uh, because we want people to feel that there are going to be positive changes and a reason for them to continue to stay here. Uh, but, but you're absolutely right. There's, there's no doubt that what's given back is often not fully appreciated. You know, the, look, the other side is that there are still a lot of folks uh, that are hurting right now, uh, a lot of folks that weren't doing well before the pandemic, and some of that only got worse. So there are, you know, we put out a report on poverty in New York State. 14% of our population uh, is in poverty. So we've, we've also got some big needs out there as well. It doesn't make any of these decisions on taxing and budgeting and how we spend our money any easier, but, um, but that's why those well, of us Tom, that are in government uh, when are in I said I interviewed the mayor last Friday, and, and yep. all, all New Yorkers, that we're not complaining about taxes. You know what we're yeah. complaining about? Safety in our streets. Yes. We yes. want to be able to take the subways and feel safe. We want to yep. go to a restaurant at night and walk home and feel safe. Yep. And yep. we want to be oh, able to send our yep. kids to school by the subway and f make sure and to feel good that our kids feel safe. I, I yeah. yelled at uh, Congressman Weiner a couple months ago because mm -hmm. he says he, he doesn't feel bad sending his 14-year-old his, uh, on the subways. I said, Congressman, I love you, but it's wrong. I would not, I would not send my 14-year-old by himself on the subway. And crime is up yeah. on the subway over 30%. And mean, meantime, yeah. shootings and And the MTA is going to need money. Right, they're on yep. a fiscal cliff. And if you if yep. you don't collect, if you don't collect your, uh, uh, what percentage of the MTA uh, people going on the subway don't pay? Well, they're losing about five hundred fifty million annually. So the fair beat is a part of it, but the other part really is 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 to the first point that John made. The ridership is still way off, uh, and the MTA more than other public transit systems in the in the nation, our MTA is so much more dependent on fare revenue. And that's back to only about, you know, 60, 65 percent, depending on the day for the subways or, or even the Long Island Railroad and Metro North or the buses. So so if you're so dependent on the fare box and people are not using the, you know, the transportation system, you know, that is one of the big reasons why you've got a big out year budget gap that's there. And keep in mind, you know, thank Thankful, particularly Senator Schumer, we we got billions to, that kept the MTA afloat during COVID. That federal money is not going to be there forever. It's going to be spent down. So we very much need people to be back on the subways. But to your fair. point, John and Lydia, they need to feel safe, and and they they need to be, needs to be cleanliness as well. I mean, I think that's another issue. Uh, and and you know, we hear a little But look, I think we've got Lieber uh, gets uh, that. And I control think the gets it, and, and, yeah. We've got one minute left. Tell yeah, all, yeah. tell us, make us feel good for the new year. Tell us what are we oh. going to do to make it better? 
Well, look, I think the mayor is focused on it. The governor has a new term. We're going to hear her state of the state address uh, this week. We're going to see her budget proposal. I I think a strong message was given by the voters uh, uh, in the fall to the Democratic Party because the election results in New York were not what many people thought they were going to be. So I think that was a wake up call for the Democrats that are still by and large in charge of New York. Uh, And let's give the mayor and the governor the opportunity to set their agenda. Thankfully, we have a mayor and governor actually talk to each other and work together, different than what we had a few years ago. It needs to be a combined effort of the state and the city to deal with all these issues that we've been talking about. And I'm going to be the optimist. We're going to have a better year in 2023 than we had in 2022. Thank you so much, and uh, God bless you. And you were the number one Democrat in uh, New York State, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Happy, healthy New Year. Happy, healthy. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show in studio. We have John Katzmatidis, Judge Weinberg, Congressman King, Rudy Washington, and myself, Lydia, on the line. We have Michael Cutler. He's a regular contributor to Front Page Magazine since 2014. He's also a former special agent with the INS. If you remember what the INS was, was the Immigration Naturalization Service. Welcome back to Cats at Night. So, Michael Cutler, let's talk about there's now a huge migrant caravan. They're they're on their way again. And, of course, President Biden, he went to visit the border and they sanitized it right there. El Paso, you had hundreds, thousands of people right there sleeping. And just before Biden came, miraculously, they all disappeared. What the heck was that about? Well, thank you for having me. Um, It's always a pleasure to join you. Uh, You know, it's my understanding that the ASPCA made sure that no animals were harmed uh, during the production of that dog and pony show that was created. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Magical theater. If if, if we lose our sense of humor, our minds can't be far behind. So, so Mike, was was this a real accomplishment by uh, Biden in terms of the substance of protecting our border or not? No, absolutely not. And it's not just the Mexican border. You know, people are coming into the country all over. The the phrase that I've used forever is that America is a country of 50 border states has been adopted to explain all these people going from the Mexican border throughout the country. But realize aliens come into the country through international airports, the Canadian border. We have 95,000 miles of coastline. Uh, it's easy to get into the United States. And once here... Uh, nothing happens to them except they get what they want. A long time ago, I made a statement, and it became one of my most plagiarized statements. Everyone kind of picked up on it. I said nobody would break into the amusement park if they couldn't get to go on the rides. Here we have the American <laughs> taxpayers paying for these folks to ride. Why in the world should anybody be surprised? And this notion that what we're doing is compassion, that is absolutely crazy. First of all, What's happening on the border and what's happening with the lack of interior enforcement violates the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission determined that, first and foremost, multiple terrorist attacks, not just the attacks of 9-11, were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system. Once here, these aliens easily were able to embed themselves, hide in plain sight, and go about their preparations. And we really shouldn't be calling them migrants, to be honest with you, because the term migrant ignores the immigration issue. We have American migrant farm workers, American workers who travel from state to state pursuing their careers could be called migrants also. One of my kids is an engineer who's moved to four different states, uh, each time getting a promotion and doing really well. 
but you could say he's a migrant because the dictionary says a migrant is someone who moves uh, to find work. And so what we and, you know, the term alien was expunged by Jimmy Carter, which simply means any person who's not a citizen or national of the United States. Uh, there's no pejorative in that, but there is clarity. So I've come to give these individuals coming across the border a new name. Let's see how this works. I call them clients because they are clients for immigration law firms and they're clients for these NGOs, these non-government organizations. And in fact, I wrote an article not long ago for Front Page magazine about how $17 million, according to Judicial Watch, and they were basing their report on an inspector general report, a company that had never before worked with immigration or DHS was given a non-competitive bid contract for tens of millions of dollars to take care of the aliens coming across the border, $17 million of which went for beds that were never utilized. The OIG did a bit of digging, the inspector general, and guess what they found? That that contract was given to the company shortly after a former member of the Biden administration involved with the transition team left the government and went to work for that outfit. Must be a coincidence. What a coinky dink. Absolutely. Now, now look at this one. You've got two billion dollars earmarked in the omnibus bill to do what? Address the border, make it secure. Absolutely not. In fact, the wording is clear. They may not use the money to secure the border. It has to be used to take care of the aliens coming across the border. How many NGOs are lining up as we speak, salivating at the prospect of getting hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts? So, you know, DHS has become, under this administration, the Department of Homeland Surrender. I've also given it another new name. I call it the Department of Hospitality Services. The idea that we're going to deter people by offering them whatever it is they want when they come here, aided and abetted by sanctuary cities and sanctuary states that provide driver's licenses for illegal aliens, even though we know through the findings of the 9-11 Commission, that driver's licenses was a key embedding tactic of the terrorists. The 9-11 hijackers in the aggregate used over 300 false names, including driver's licenses, under false names from states around the country. So we put up barriers against car bombs and truck bombs, and then we give driver's licenses to aliens who are, quote, undocumented, meaning they can't prove who they are, how dangerous and stupid is that? Am I missing something? You're here? not missing anything. They want to indict the Homeland Security guy. What, what say you? We got one minute impeach to him. the break. Yeah. Impeach him. Uh, impeach him. Okay. Okay. Well, not only impeach him, but how many of more people did he bring in who share his philosophy? God willing, in 2024, if we get rid of this kind of a mentality that permeates the White House, they need to clean house, and they need to ramp up interior enforcement. We have millions of people in the country who shouldn't be here. Who's going to look for them? Not the Border Patrol. When I hear the, the Republicans saying we need more Border Patrol, my answer is no, we need ICE agents. The mm-hmm. job I did, they go after the immigration fraud, which was the embedding tactic of choice by terrorists, and they're the ones that would force these people to go to their hearings and then remove them if, in fact, they are found to not be eligible to remain in the United States. Compassion should start with the American citizen. And the one question I'd love to hear journalists ask of the White House, simple question, how are these policies in the best interest of America or Americans? No, they don't have an answer for it. They'll make up a story. No, they don't. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service to America, and, and continue to speak out for America. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. 
Breaking news. WABC. The Biden administration is weighing a nationwide ban on gas stoves. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have electric stoves nationwide. Electric. You're going to have electric cars nationwide. We don't have the electricity. So what happens? People going to start You won't up. be able to eat. You won't be able to drive. And you're going to freeze to death. And you're going to freeze to death. Dr. Siegel, what the heck is going on? He forgot one thing. We're going to be mining lithium like it's going out of style in cobalt. We're going to ruin the environment on behalf of the environment. But there's always John's Oil Company you can call in a pinch if you're freezing. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I think it's... It, it, We're it associated is, with Canada. Signaling. We're not going to run out of uh, gasoline. No, but well, it would be nice if we stopped uh, making these these Faustian deals with other countries. I think that we were heading in the right direction on energy independence, but th- that seems to have gone out the window. I saw a ga- a gas selling for seven dollars and fifty cents in New York City the other day. I couldn't believe it. Doctor Siegel, real quick, what's going on with this nurses' strike? I know we're nearing the end of the show. This is a big deal, Lydia, and I'll tell you why. You could say that healthcare professionals shouldn't strike. We're committed. We're devoted. But they, they, they got hammered the last three years with COVID. There's a big shortage at Montefiore and Mount Sinai. It's not all about money. Bottom line, it's not about money. They got offered a 19% increase, but they feel they're short-staffed, overworked, too many patients. That's what it's about. 19% is a lot of money. And they said, uh, I was reading reports, there, there's so many staff openings and they're not filling them and that people are just simply overworked. They're burnt yeah, out. That's true at all of these hospitals. The, the, the conditions have been such, especially in the emergency rooms where there's not enough staffing, nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, not enough. Doctors feel it, too. We just don't have unions, by the way. Our union, the American Medical Association, doesn't do much except, you know, sit there and lobby in Congress and fight for malpractice reform, which it never gets. But we, we don't have unions. And so now there's a new report, a lot of people coming down with COVID. But as we all knew that this is the most contagious strain because this is what happens when a virus mutates. It gets weaker, but more contagious. Yeah, we don't know how many cases either because of home testing. We have a lot more cases than we thought. It's becoming part of daily existence. I still like the the antiviral drugs. I still think people have to have some immunity to help them against the strain. Hospitalizations going up, overall milder strain than we saw with Delta. Well, we're out of time, Dr. Mark Siegel. Thank you for for keeping us informed and telling all New Yorkers, all Americans, all New Jerseyites, all Connecticut. Thank you so much, Dr. Siegel. You've got to have oil, John. You've got to have oil. I mean, there's there's no joke about that. Uh, uh, Judge Weinberg, Congressman King, uh, Deputy uh, Mayor uh, Rudy Washington. Washington. He wants to call you George. He wants to call you George. I know. And he catches himself. (laughs) What do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice and the American way. way. God bless America.